Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. I'm Cody Fields, the president of the Noseminster family of guitar effects. You can check us out and exchange your currency for guitar effects at westminstereffects.com. And make sure you join the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. I'm here with... Bradley Cox, I'm the lead pastor at Resurrection Church and in Greer, South Carolina. My bad. And John isn't here. He has these things called responsibilities. Who does that anymore? Uh, Bradley, how about you introduce our guest this week? Uh, our guest, who has a smirk on his face at your radio voice, Cody, yeah, uh, is okay. Keith Cothran. Uh, Keith has been a part of the Resurrection Church family for 10 years. It's been yeah, at least 10 2007. years. 2007. So almost 11 years. Uh, and about three years ago, uh, Keith left a very successful career in law enforcement to join our staff as a pastor and elder at Resurrection Church. You, um, could, you could say he stopped resisting the call of God. Hey-o! Where's the drum? Where's the drum kit? Awesome. Where's the drum kit? That is awesome. So Keith and then, is and then a, he shot the church's dog and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Keith's a good <laughs> friend and a very uh, 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 just a great pastor and um, a very vital part of our pastoral team here at Resurrection Church. So um, any any celebration of yourself you want to add to that yeah i would definitely not celebrate myself nearly as much as either one of you two guys have but um certainly honored to be on the podcast today and thankful to just be a part of ministry that god's uh including me in so yeah awesome yeah so uh we brought keith on uh we've mentioned several times on the podcast that Resurrection Church has gone through a ton of renovations, and Keith, by and large, has headed that up and lit fires under certain contractors' butts when needed and gathered details and organized all that stuff. So we were going to talk about uh, essentially planning out a worship space. Uh, we almost started from scratch. I mean, yeah, we had we had walls and a ceiling, <laughs> But at the same time, it looks totally different in there now. Uh, and maybe maybe I'll figure out a way to throw a picture in the show notes of a before and after, because I do have that. Uh, so what were your kind of primary responsibilities in the whole process? Well, you know, when we initially started the uh, conversation about renovating the space, we, we had been around what we called the mulberry bush um, quite a few times. And... In essence, we had to make some really tough decisions about whether renovating was the right move. And uh, what we found out is um, from the beginning, having the right architect and contractor, general contractor on board is pivotal in uh, making wise decisions that are related to stewardship with what God has given us. So um, from the get-go, my suggestion would be to find a great architect that can really help you understand the worship space and all of the codes that may play a part in your decision making in your area and also find a great builder that can work alongside of you to give you real-time information about construction costs so that would be where I would make my starting line uh, once you've already decided that obviously this is the direction that God wants you to go and I mean you you mentioned the codes there Uh, that actually did end up playing a pretty major part in this project with that building being built in what was it 1968 is that right 
Yeah, so our building was built in 1968, and so anytime you renovate, you're going to run into some code issues. Uh, churches are given a little bit of leeway, at least in our state. Uh, we're grandfathered in with some of the code ordinances, but there are others that you're going to have to address, uh, fire codes and that type of thing. And so uh, in your initial planning, it would be wise of you to discuss with the architect potential issues you could run into code-wise. Um, you know, depending on seating capacity, there may be issues with uh, whether you have a sprinkler system in the building or whether you just have pull fire alarms. Um, I know for us, uh, we were able to uh, not have to sprinkle our building basically because of seating capacity. And so knowing all of that on the front end has a direct impact on cost and just working with the city officials and the architects and the contractors to really just make sure that you're well informed and making educated decisions uh, because every decision has a dollar attached and you've got to be wise in how you make those decisions and steward the resources that God's given you. So uh, again, that goes back to having an amazing architect and a great builder alongside making real-time decisions. And speaking of the sprinklers, there were times when you probably just didn't want those because you would have preferred for the building to burn down during this process too, right? <laughs> I will neither speak to any of the claims that you're making you right now confirm or confirm <laughs> any of the claims in which you're making. But yeah, I mean, with building, I think if I could give any advice to people out there that are, you know, other pastors, other churches that are thinking about this, spend a lot of time on the front end praying and really asking God, is this what he wants? Uh, because it's going to be a, it's going to take a toll. Uh, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost a lot of energy, time. Uh, there will be days that are frustrating when things aren't happening at a pace that you think they should be. And so really having, having the foundation of prayer and knowing that God said move in this direction will really help you get through some of those tougher days when things aren't happening the way that you think they should. So uh, certainly, 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 absolutely first and foremost, Pray about it and know that it's what God wants um, before you ever make a decision to go into a facility renovation or build a new facility. Okay, so we, we know that everybody in, in the church leadership was praying about this before anything was even mentioned uh, publicly. Um, like we knew we had needs. We knew that certain things were falling apart. Certain things like that sweet wood paneling just needed to go. <laughs> um, we had power issues where the power was just old and dirty. Like I could hear it through my guitar amp how dirty the power was. Mm -hmm. um, so after the whole prayer thing, what did that process look like? And Bradley definitely jumped in on this too. Well, um, you saying what did it look like in terms of deciding what to do? Yeah, yeah. So deciding what to do, how to announce it, how to go about raising the money briefly, um, just because, you know, so we don't spend too much time on that and then get back into the deciding how we're going to get into the crafting of the actual space. I think the hardest part about, you know, once you decide that you've, you know, there are things you need to address with your facilities. Yeah. Um, you, you start to, we found a fantastic architect that, like he said, um, but you start to look and examine, okay, here are our problems. Here are the things we want to address and here's how we could address them. And the sky's the limit almost when mm -hmm. it comes to 
uh, how you want to address your facility limitations, either by renovating current square footage or adding new square footage. And it, the, the only limitation is money, is, yeah. is the way it seems. It's like, okay, if you've got enough money, this is what you can do. And, and so it's really hard. I think that there were so many, um, I don't know, lessons that we learned or, or challenges that we faced once we actually decided to move forward with a renovation uh, in just saying, okay, well, this is what we could do, but how much should we do? How much can yeah. we do? Um, and, and then there's the whole fundraising component where, you know, we actually set a fundraising goal that we didn't meet. Right. And so the project that we, or the, the scope that we actually promoted publicly on the front end of our fundraising campaign, we actually scaled back relative to the amount of money mm -hmm. that we actually raised. And that can be a really hard thing to do. I mean, um, you know, Keith said, when you do a building project, it's going to cost you something. And yeah, it's, it's going to cost a lot and it's going to cost more than money. It's going to cost you um, emotionally. Uh, it will cost you people. We lost people uh, in the process of fundraising and actually completing uh, the project itself. Um, there were people that either didn't like the, the direction we were going with it or didn't like uh, that we chose, and, and we wrestled with this scripturally, we, we, we chose to borrow money from a bank to complete this project. And some, some people have uh, biblical arguments against that, sure. or at least what they believe are biblically rooted arguments. The gospel according that. to Dave Ramsey, right? <laughs> it could be. Um, which, you know, I'm not going to get into that now unless sure. you want to. No, but, that's okay. I mean, I'm, that's not, okay. I'm, not, I'm not a fan of debt. Um, but we, we biblically, we searched the scriptures, we wrestled with it with our leadership as we felt like that we could make a wise, uh, responsible move financially by using some money from a bank in order to complete this project. But there were people that didn't. Yeah, you know, one thing that I would add to that is we're not stacking debt either. We don't have debt upon debt upon debt. At the time the decision was made, we had debt free. We were completely debt free, and we were sitting on you know a very valuable piece of property, and the amount the amount of money we were borrowing was you know a third of the value of our property, maybe two thirds the value, depending on how the numbers break out. But so it's you know we certainly aren't saying put your church in a bad position with debt. You know obviously make wise decisions and you know have people that are well-informed help you make those decisions but uh, just to understand our position we were in a really good position um, as far as our assets were concerned to be able to to go out and uh, you know take out a loan to accomplish what we felt like God was asking us to accomplish and certainly God did provide more than what we really had anticipated while we didn't hit our marks with goals what we have seen since we've completed is God graciously exceeding our goals and uh, so that's really really amazing to experience that you know a little frustrating on the front end but seeing God's faithfulness after the obedience is uh, what I think a biblical example of how God operates in the kingdom anyway yeah which you know yeah I don't I don't mean to sound like negative Nancy with it I, I just mean that there's a too late you already are I'm just there's, there's a I mean I think like there was in me 
um, with when it comes to maybe pastors, church leaders considering a facility move of some kind is, I, I mean, it, it's not an apples to apples comparison because Jesus was talking about following him, but he did say count the cost, you know, and the example he, he, he gave is, is very similar to what we've been through. He's like, you know, who among you is not going to uh, count the cost for whatever it is yeah. he wants yeah. to build, you know, and I think there's wisdom in that is that there, when you make a facility move, it's especially depending on the size of your church, it, it, it's a, it's a big deal. And I would say, I told our church the day we moved back in to our facility, uh, every bit of this has been worth it because I think what we see happening in the natural and the physical is really just a, um, it's a it's a picture of I think what God's doing in our church spiritually, and it's just positioned us uh, from a physical standpoint to um, just use the resources and the gifts that God's given this church in a much better way. So when we when we looked at, or I guess when you, I guess I'm saying we as as a church, whatever, who needs English anyway? Um, <laughs> so in looking at how the primary worship space uh, was before we had we had aesthetic needs uh, looked like it was straight out of 1998 <laughs> uh, we had some sound needs um, what other kind of and, and obviously electricity and stuff like that and I'm talking about the main room not like the kids stuff with increased security like oh that's great but this being worship leading podcast nobody cares um <laughs> Um, that's funny. So, what other what other needs that that I may have missed were addressed in the new space now? Yeah. So one of the things you know, with time, things just wear out naturally. Um, our carpet was wearing out. You we you could see clearly the areas of travel where people walked. Um, our stage at that time had steps leading up to the platform, and some of the areas where the carpet. Uh, was attached to the steps, was fraying and splitting. And our chairs, while they weren't all in bad shape, some of them were torn and, and worn out. And, you know, we had stains on the wall and in the, on the carpet. And um, we had a carpeted stage at the time, which isn't really conducive for, you know, as far as like worship is concerned. It's, it's great for absorbing sound, but it's terrible for appearance. And so there was just a lot that we needed to address. Uh, Coming out of the 1980s is probably an accurate statement, but one thing I do think is true is that, you know, even today, what is cutting edge today and what is accepted as far as a worship space today, in 10 years, that will look different. And uh, I think adapting and that type of thing to to the, you know, the place in which you live is, is important. Um, and creating a space that allows people to, or encourages people to, to really worship the true God. And, and that's the ultimate goal of any environment, to create an environment or space that encourages and doesn't distract or take away from the worship of God. And so that's kind of that's kind of where we started with it. Our, you know, our main goal wasn't to make an awesome looking building. It was to create a space that really just invited people into a relationship with Jesus. And so that was our heart. And, and I'm glad you, you said that. A lot of people think uh, automatically when you say something along the lines of cutting edge, it's, oh, well, we're putting on a show. And that's not really our DNA here is, is mm -hmm. yeah, we have 
relatively loud music uh, in comparison to like a traditional style. Uh, we're running two electric guitars whenever we can. You know, it's it's more of the modern style, but it's you know it's not a theatrical performance no. on our part by any yeah. means. Yeah, I think you know a lot of churches. You know, what a church, how a church chooses to um, conduct their Sunday services is I try to give as much credit to other mm-hmm. pastors in that area right. um, as I can. You know, we're, we're not calling them heretics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my preference is, you know, my preference is uh, I'm willing to allow my preferences to take a backseat um, to to others in a lot of ways. Um but to, to ignore the fact that what worked and the environments that uh, of 15 years ago, just acknowledging the fact and being honest with the fact that that's, that doesn't work anymore. It's just not, it's not conducive to how church is done anymore. I think acknowledging that is a biblical thing. I think we see that in Jesus in Mark chapter 4 where you know the crowds had gotten so large that he actually gets in a boat, pushes off the bank, mm-hmm. and he uses that boat and that water to amplify his voice. That's a really practical thing that Jesus did in response to, to the crowds getting so large. And so just recognizing things that are happening in our culture to help us to be as efficient and as effective as we can at delivering the gospel and then just trusting God to take the gospel that's been delivered and do what God does best, and that's transform lives. I mean, no life will ever be transformed by an amazing performance of human effort. But anytime the Holy Spirit shows up and begins changing lives, it's no less amazing. And if that happens in an environment where lights are flashing or, or whether the carpet's red like we had uh, in certain places, you know, I'm good with it as long as it's God doing the work and not man. So. That's kind of where I fall with worship center spaces is, you know, I, I don't particularly like light shining in my eyes, but I, you know, some people may, may not have an issue with that and it may lead to a genuine transformation of the spirit. And I think that's amazing. Yeah. You, know, you, you talk about the practical thing that Jesus did with the, the boat and the water. Um, you know, one real practical move that we made in this renovation, this was just true for us, but there might be other churches out there that uh, are people are listening. They're in the same boat. So we have we have a church. Our church is what you would, I guess, most people would consider nowadays a relatively small church. I mean, we're about three hundred people um, or so, and on a given Sunday, about two hundred of those would be uh, adults or young adults mm-hmm. in in the main service and right. about a hundred would be represented by children and volunteers that are serving in children. So, um, we, because of the way our sanctuary was set up, we had to do two services. We just did not have enough seats to consistently fit 200 people ish into one service. And we certainly didn't have the bathroom capacity Goodness, to, no. to deal with that either. Um, so, but, but yeah, you know, I, I'm not, a, I, I don't mind doing multiple services, but for us, given the size that we are and kind of the DNA of our church, at least for right now, we felt like we were a better church at one service altogether than we were at two. And Mark I think, Dever would agree too. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think eventually we're going to be back to two services um, but we'll be lar- much larger when we do that, mm-hmm. um, and which means we'll have a strong, a larger, stronger volunteer base with which to facilitate multiple services. 
But what we did was we shrunk the size of our stage. We actually got a little bit smaller chair, but not so much smaller that our people even really notice it. Right. And our architect helped us figure out a new configuration uh, mm -hmm. and spacing where we actually added over 100 seats to our auditorium. Which, which seems insane just on the surface. It, it does. It's like when he told, I re, I'll never forget being in that meeting when he said, I think I can stretch you from 170 seats to about 285 seats. And I, I thought he was crazy. I, I just could not. And, and Keith is probably more of a architectural minded person, much more so than me. And I don't even think you... Yeah, I was having a hard time with the 285 to 300 mark. Yeah. I could see 250. Uh, you know, our sanctuary is certainly not large by any standard. But um, I will say this, putting the chairs out um, recently <laughs> you with the architectural <laughs> drawing was quite an experience. I'm um, sure it was. Yeah. <laughs> I was thankfully on a missions trip when that happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's a conveniently placed missions trip. <laughs> I, I warned him ahead of time. But, you know, we, we, right now we have 275 in there? 278. 278 seats in there right now. And there's still room. And we could go to 300. So it's allowed us to go back to one service. And, of course, we added bathrooms in the renovation as well. Um, and But we've been able to go back to one service, which has been so, I don't know, it's just a, there's an energy for us and, and um, I don't know, uh, a sense of community that we get to capitalize on now that when you take a church as small as we are and split it in two, that that can have sometimes more negative effects than positive effects. You might increase mm -hmm. your your facility's capacity to hold more people in two services, but you you in some ways rob the church of the, the momentum and the energy and the joy of all of us being together because even at the size we are, not everybody knows everybody, but a lot of people know a lot of people. And it, it's a it's a good it's good for our community, I think. And again, this is just us. I'm not trying to put that on anybody else. But for us, we there there were things that we weighed in this renovation that weren't just about the structural, functional, uh, so much as it was about our community and how we do life and ministry as a church on a week-to-week -week basis. And that, that was one of the things that... Um, I feel like is probably one of the bigger benefits um, to our church, other than the improvements we made in our children's facility too, which you don't want to talk about because nobody cares about that. On this <laughs> well, I mean, I will say like the fact that we do have volunteers who are essentially bouncers uh, in the in the kids ministry is really comforting for a lot of people. Like that was a good idea. Well, I'll tell you this one quick story <laughs> for for all of you out there that. You know, you just you're all into the adult service and worship, and and you don't really even think about the children's space. Uh, our first Sunday back in there, we had a mother of a young, young—I mean, I think nursery age, nursery age yeah. child—who she put her child into our nursery ministry um, back in the new space on the first Sunday. And she, we came to the end of the service, and she was just glowing with just how much 
she was blessed by the service, how she sensed the presence of the Lord. She was able to just worship so freely and engage with the teaching. And it, and this is a person that I happen to know mm-hmm. as her pastor is going through some really difficult life circumstances. I can't understate that. Uh, but she was so thankful for our children's ministry and children's facility where she could confidently place her child in a place that she knew was safe and secure yeah, yeah. and then be able to engage in the adult service. And that's why people that minister in the adult services need to be mindful of their children's space and make it mm-hmm. as, as safe and excellent as you possibly can for the sake, not yes, for the sake of the children and, and, and their spiritual development, even at nursery age, but also for the sake of their parents, moms and dads, caregivers that are, putting them in there and then going in for worship that matters yeah and obviously obviously the uh the people who are hardcore age integrated probably just had an aneurysm mm-hmm. uh so they don't count right now however there is a there is something to say about minimizing the distractions as much as possible all over mm-hmm. the space whether it's having really good security for your kids ministry uh while they're being taught about jesus uh, or even Keith, we we you especially laid down at least seventy pounds of gaff tape <laughs> to hide cables. Yes, I, I still have nightmares about the gaff tape, but I do want to just chime in a little bit on the kids thing. Sure. A lot of you guys out there that may be listening for us, it was a priority. Our kids space was a big priority in this project, and. We wanted to give our kids space and as amazing a place as we could, uh, but just embrace your limitations. Um, know from the beginning that you're not going to be able to achieve everything that you may want to achieve, that there are going to be things that you're going to have to make tough calls on and sacrifices in certain areas, but do the best with what you've got. Um, don't compare yourself to maybe the church down the road or Uh, even with what we're doing, but look at your space and do the best you can with your space. Our space is not perfect. Uh, Our procedures are not perfect. You know, we we certainly are not experts at this, but, you know, we've tried to take our space and we're just trying to honor Jesus and do everything as unto Christ. And so with that, just be encouraged to know you don't have to do it exactly like someone else to be doing it really, really well. It's, it's, it's very contextual, and you do it as best you can with what you have. So whether you're meeting in a school or whether you're meeting in a large, you know, 5,000-person, 5, 5,000-member 5, church, just do the best with the facilities that you can because yeah. uh, I think that's what God would want us to do. So Right. It doesn't do us any good to just sit around and daydream about having an infinitely bigger yeah, I mean, better insert whatever thing here. There's plenty of days I was walking around while construction was going on, daydreaming and wondering what we could do. But you know, there's there's really practical things that are going to have to be taken care of when, especially if you go digging into an old structure. Uh, you know, we found out our foundation was six inches. Uh, we needed six inches more of concrete. Uh, and so we had to cut out a huge section of concrete in our floor that we hadn't anticipated. Uh, we had to add a lot of beams and some structural support. And so you can just kind of anticipate some of that's going to come your way with a renovation and uh, try not to get too frustrated with that. And, and uh, again, having a creative builder and a really good architect is going to save you a lot of heartache 
and a lot of money in that area. Well, and talk about this too, because people may not know that Keith and I came to pastor at an existing church. And, and, and well, maybe you figured that out when he told you that our building was built in 1968, because obviously we weren't even born then. But, um, you know, inheriting a facility like that, a lot of people are in that position, regardless of whether they're, you know, what style of church they are or what yeah. have you. And this whole notion of doing the best with what you have, I mean, we... We opted, we actually waited at one point just leveling this whole thing and building something new. And I'm not saying there aren't some situations where that might be the, the better option, but for us, we found that renovating costs how much less per square foot than building new? Yeah, so if we were going to build, uh, our facility we renovated is roughly 8,900 square feet-ish, uh, give or take, but roughly took renovate costed us about $80 a square foot uh, to build cost would cost us anywhere in the neighborhood of 150 to $200 a square foot uh, depending on how elaborate the the facilities become there's certainly probably cheaper ways to go about that you could probably get that cost down to about 135 a square foot and depending on where you live depending on where you live and that type of thing but the cost of building in our area seems to Seems to be lower than the rest of the country, but uh, again, you know that that's a decision you've got to weigh. You know, if if your facility bones are so bad and in such a bad shape, then it might be a good decision to go ahead and to uh, to knock the building down and, and to erect a new building. Um, we kind of rolled the dice and hoped and prayed that our structure was good. And for the most part, it was, and, and I think in most cases it would be. But for us, you know, there is a roll of the dice with renovating. If, if you run into a major structural issue, it could easily become more costly than building a new building. But you'll have to weigh all of that. And again, that's, I go back to a good architect and a builder. They can really walk you through some of that and help you understand that. And you can also negotiate things in t with your general contractor about cost and like guaranteed maximum pricing learn acronyms uh that would be helpful find out what the con uh, contractors acronyms mean because that's how they talk you know they gmps pcis change orders you got all sorts of things that you're going to need to know but uh, don't let it overwhelm you and don't let the fear of doing it uh, stop you you know uh, it certainly can be done, and I think you can do it. You know, like I said, I'm no expert. Pastor Bradley's no expert, but you know, with God's help, you can get it done. You know, our building was, um, you know, and I agree with you about the structural stuff. The guts of the building, you know, have to be solid enough that you can do this. But you mentioned having a good architect. You know, the biggest, one of the biggest problems with our building was not just the lack of square footage, but what it was the, the, the layout, the layout, oh, the yeah. inefficient oh, yeah. way, uh, that, and, and just non-functional way that it was laid out. Mm -hmm. I mean, our building, I, I mean, I know this from some of our older members that are still here. Our building was drawn on a napkin in a McDonald's in the 60s. That's not an approved architectural right, drawing. Right. <laughs> but, and, and, and it was just laid out so backwards and, and wonky in some ways. We had trouble imagining the square footage in any kind of you know, effect, a functional way. But yeah. the architect came in. 
And, and, you know, we start talking about all this square footage we need to add, and he starts saying to us, well, wait a minute, we can repurpose this square footage. And what, one of the things that amazes me about this project that we did is that we did not add one square foot right. of heated and cooled space in this project, but it feels like we gained a couple of thousand or more. And all because it's more efficient. It's just laid out so much better. And the architect helped us figure that out. You know, you raise the ceiling here, you tear down a wall here, add another one there, you you, you just reallocate the space. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you know, you talk about doing the best with what you have. I mean, that's really been our goal is we've got a building. We've actually got three buildings and we've got about five and a half acres mm-hmm. is how can we maximize what we already have and I, th- I, I think we, we, we worked with another architect prior to the Equip Studios is the one that we ended up with at the end. But the other architect just never really helped us imagine the square footage. Right. Reimagine it. It was always about what square footage we could add in order to address our needs rather than repurpose. And I think, to me, that saved us a lot of dollars. Uh, and it also positions us well for the long term when we actually do get to the point where we want to add square footage. We've right. got usable space on the property that's it's old, but it's good. So, so one more quick thing. You just mentioned uh, the, uh, <laughs> the building was drawn in the 60s on a napkin. But, and you heard that from people who are still here. So obviously those people are going to be a little bit older and we have a pretty decent amount of older people in our mm-hmm. church um, what was what was your mentality in well we don't want to run them off at the same you know we don't want to just implement these visual aesthetic changes and just tell them to deal with it uh, where you have all manner of different tastes within a church how do you address basically trying to please everybody when you know somebody's going to be irritated mm-hmm. Do you want to take a stab at that one? <laughs> I can't. I mean, we, um, I think one of the things you have to understand is that, you know, we're, this renovation takes place in about, um, I came here in 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so you're talking about like a 13 year process in our church mm-hmm. of kind of casting vision shaping the culture of the church so it's not like we just up and decided one morning and announced to all of our older people hey we're going to renovate the facility and right. you know you need to you know they're, they're already kind of discipled into you know yes the gospel of course but also into our, our church vision and DNA and where right. we're headed so that the renovation made sense to most of them uh, right off the bat, you know, to we, the way we cast the vision was uh, we want to update our space. It's in desperate need of that. We want to make it more efficient and functional. Uh, we want a safer, secure, and more excellent space for our children. And we want to be able to go back to one service. And so that those things made sense to most people. There, there are a couple that just didn't like it. There's mm-hmm. a uh, there's always going to be. Yeah, there's an older lady that I've known for a long time who she still, I mean, some people may laugh at this, she still pays her tithes. Uh, she comes to our senior adult Bible study that takes place in another facility on our property, not the main building. 
uh, and she won't step foot in the main building. Hmm. Uh, she cannot stand. We painted our buildings on the outside. They were like this god-awful tan color. Can I say god-awful on this? That's okay. Yeah. Um, and we painted... It was, them. it was the pastor saying it, so that makes it okay. Right, right, right. That's how that works. So anyway, we painted them gray, and she, she caught me at... I, I went to one of the senior functions, um, I think last week, and she caught me. It's like, I can't stand that gray, and I can't... But you know what? I just, I'm, I'm patient with her and compassionate. I don't make any excuses for what we've done, but I know that her husband, mm-hmm. he is a founding member of this church. He's gone now. He's, he passed away in the nineties, I think. But you know, his name used to be on a, on a plaque on the back of one of the pews. Mm. And a lot of this renovation that we've done, this is not the first this is the first major renovation we've done. We've done some minor ones in the past. But they, they represent sort of a moving on, I think, from her husband's memory that is hard for her emotionally. And, yeah. You know, um, I get that. Um, but, you know, it we've we've tried to uh, do everything we possibly can to, to bring our, our seniors on board. You know, I've got one senior that was very complimentary of the renovation. And, but he wants us to put a steeple back on the church. Hmm. And we, we had to take our steeple down years ago cause it was just, it was about dry rotted and, um, we had to take it down and we just never have allocated the funds to put one up, right. you know? Uh, but I told him the other day, and this is the, the honest truth is that, um, I just said, you know what? Um, I would love to put a good looking steeple on that building when we have the money. But right now, you know, we've allocated our funds to other sure. things yeah. I feel like are more important. And I just think it's just conversation with the older generation, letting them know that we're, you know, we're building on a foundation they've laid. You know, they, 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 they have prayed and fasted and, you know, they, they've laid a foundation that we're building upon because we're a church with a long history. And, and I think, I think they, I think they get that. I think we've, we've done a good job. One thing that helps too, is that we have a, an older pastor on our elder team mm-hmm. who we, we need to get him on sometime. We do need to get him <laughs> on. Everybody would love him. Um, but he helps so much communicate value, uh, to that older generation and helps us connect the younger and old generation. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, on that note, Recommended reading for this week. Keith, you want to start us off? Yeah, it's, uh, I didn't know that I was supposed to recommend a book. I usually just spring it on the guests. So kind of caught welcome. me off guard, but I read this book. <laughs> um, it's been several years back now, but it's called Everyday Church, Gospel Communities on Mission. It's by Tim Chester and uh, Steve Timmis. I'd encourage you to go out and read it. It's, it's really a great read. It's a simple read. Um, and it's all about, you know, getting the gospel out into our neighborhoods and our community. So go pick you a copy of this up. Uh, I think it'll help you with staying on mission and seeing how the, the facility itself may play into the mission. So that'd be my recommended. Sweet. Bradley? Uh, I'll recommend Center Church by Tim Keller. Um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners know who Tim Keller is. He pastors in New York City. Um, and been pastoring for a long time, 20 years plus, I believe. Um, but this, this book, it, it's actually been a while since I read it. I'm, I think I'm going to reread it, but it's, it's one of the best 
I've ever read at connecting theology with methodology. Mm-hmm. We're talking a lot about facilities today. Um, you know, those things I don't think are meant to be totally detached from our theology. How we do things is always flowing from why we do things. Right. And I think this book it's uh, it's a bit of a heady read, um, and you know you. You, you, it's long, it's big, it's thick, but it's so worth it because he he lays a th- gospel theological foundation upon which he begins to talk about uh, methodology. He, he, one of the chapters, I love the title of it, it's, it's why all church models are right and wrong, you know, mm-hmm. and, and addresses the fact that we're, none of us are perfect, none of us are getting it all right. Um, and so anyway, I think it's really good um, for all pastors and church leaders to read Center Church by Tim Keller. So my recommended reading is by David Pallison and How Does Sanctification Work? And it's it's kind of along the lines of the Keller book that you just referenced in that uh, Pallison says, hey, there's no one single template in right. dealing with things. Uh, sometimes you need to point people back to the cross. Sometimes you need to point people to uh, the end of things and, and where we end up. And sometimes you need to point them to something else completely. And, and God works through all those different means uh, for our sanctification and even church renovations, I guess, to loosely tie that in. Because I didn't really have a, hey... How do you renovate a church book on my shelf? So, yeah, yeah. so there we go. Keith, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for the invite. And uh, guys, if you have any questions, just feel free to touch base with Cody and Westminster, and uh, I'd love to chat with you and talk in more detail if you have any questions. So, if you're actively writing and performing music and would like to become an official Westminster artist and even get your song played at the end of one of these podcast episodes, fill out our application at westminstereffects.com. Follow us and comment on Facebook and Instagram. You can subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Leave us a five-star review. As always, we don't care if it's honest. Just give us five stars. So here's Westminster artist Steve Kabuchi of Wolves at the Gate with East West. Thanks for listening.